Exodus chapter 26. We'll see the further description of the tabernacle and how the Lord gave the materials list as well as the construction plan for this place that would symbolize his dwelling with the people as they move forward in the desert they would have this tabernacle that they can rear up and then take down when it was time to move again and we saw the Lord's instructions for the Ark of the Covenant we saw its instructions for the table where the bread the show bread the bread of the presence will be there and we saw the plans for the lampstand which is that menorah that the Jews are familiar with in verse 1 of chapter 26 someone would please read from the New Living Translation We'll hear it as we'll hear it as it is written. Exodus twenty six has about thirty seven, well thirty seven verses. Three people can read the word of God, one through ten, eleven through twenty, and then the third person, please read uh, twenty one to thirty seven. Exodus 26, NLT version, verses 1 to 10. Make the tabernacle from ten curtains of finely woven linen. Decorate the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. These ten curtains must all be exactly the same size, 42 feet long and 6 feet wide. Join five of these curtains together to make one long curtain, then join the other five into a second long curtain. Put loops of blue yarn along the edge of the last curtain in each set. The 50 loops along the edge of one curtain are to match the 50 loops along the edge of the other curtain. Then make 50 gold clasps and fasten the long curtains together with the clasps. In this way, the tabernacle will be made of one continuous piece. Make 11 curtains of goat hair cloth to serve as a tent covering for the tabernacle. These 11 curtains must all be exactly the same size, 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. Join five of these curtains 
together to make one long curtain and join the other six into a second long curtain allow 3 feet of material from the second set of curtain to hang over the front of the sacred tent make 50 loops for one edge of each large curtain praise god then make 50 bronze clasps and fasten the loops of the long curtains with the clasps in this way the tent covering will be made of one continuous piece the remaining 3 feet of this tent covering will be left to hang over the back of the tabernacle allow 18 inches of remaining material to hang down over each side so the tabernacle is completely covered complete the tent covering with a protective layer of tanned ram skins and a layer of fine goat skin leather for the framework of the tabernacle construct frames of acacia wood each frame must be 15 feet high and 27 inches wide with two pegs under each frame make all the frames identical make 20 of these frames to support the curtains on the south side of the tabernacle also make 40 silver bases two bases under each frame with the pegs fitting securely into the bases for the north side of the tabernacle make another 20 frames make 6 frames for the rear the west side of the tabernacle along with two additional frames to reinforce the rear corners of the tabernacle these corner frames will be matched at the bottom and firmly attached at the top with a single ring forming a single corner unit make both of these corner units the same way so there will be eight frames at the rear of the tabernacle set in 16 silver bases two bases under each frame make cross bars of acacia wood to link the frames five cross bars for the north side of the tabernacle and five for the south side also make five cross bars for the rear of the tabernacle which will face west The middle cross bar attached halfway up the frames will run all the way from one end of the tabernacle to the other. Overlay the frames with gold and make gold rings to hold the cross bar. Overlay the cross bar with gold as well. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen decorate it with blue purple and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood 
overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most high holy place. Then put the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. Place the table outside the inner curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and place the lampstand across the room on the south side. Make another curtain up for the entrance to the sacred tent. Make it of finely woven linen and embroider it with exquisite design using blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Craft five posts from acacia wood Overlay them with gold and hang the curtains from them with gold hooks. Cast five bronze bases for the post. Amen. Amen. Very detailed description of God's tabernacle where he was going to live with the people. And we saw yesterday... That was the purpose, that it was also called the Tent of Meeting. It was a tent made up of these various weatherproof material from the outside and then going in several layers. And God had it all planned out that there would be a covering of ram skins dyed red. Underneath that, you'd have goat's hair covering. Underneath that would be a finely, uh, fine twined linen covering. And at the very exterior, sea cow skin. And so they would have that protection where the wood crossbars and the frame would be underneath. These obviously were not just curtains that we're used to furnishing our homes with. They were weatherproof material. And the entire structure was 45 feet long. And the Lord instructed them to have these long curtains to cover the whole structure. Within the tabernacle, the entrance of it, the priest would go in. And on the right side, inside as he enters in, would be that table of the showbread, S-H-E-W, or the bread of the presence that we saw in the last chapter. As the priest enters into the tabernacle, this is the holy place, not the holy of holies. On the left side would be the menorah, or that golden lampstand. So as soon as he enters in, on the right side would be the table with the bread of the presence, and the left side would be the golden lampstand, and then in front of him would be the altar of incense, which we'll see later in, in chapter 30. But after that altar of incense would be 
that veil which would separate the holy place where the priest was standing, the veil that's decorated, and behind that veil would be the most holy place. In that most holy place would be the Ark of the Covenant, the first piece of furniture that we looked at in the previous chapter. On the Ark of the Covenant would be the mercy seat between the cherubims that were crafted representing the angelic messengers, hosts of heaven, between which the Lord's presence would be. This was unlike anything that anyone has ever heard of up to that point in human civilization or anything afterwards. Men did rear up temples and altars and all kinds of things, but an elaborate design with specific measurements and tremendous foreshadowing of spiritual truth and prophecy, a fulfillment, every part of it. We know when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, that veil that separated the similar places in the temple torn in two. It was ripped from the top down. Symbolizing that everybody can come to have access with the awesome Holy God. Didn't come cheap. And it also required that the people were made holy. We talked about the elaborate washings, the cleansing and the sacrifices required for the priests and the high priest. Today, in various religions, you have people wash, bathe themselves, ritual baths, and so forth, to be ceremonially clean in their religion. And the Pharisees told the Lord, they complained, your disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. He said, it's not what goes inside a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out. In other words, is your heart clean? That's what really matters. The entrance to God's presence, holy, awesome, glorious presence, the veil having been taken away by the death of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that flesh that was torn his body opened the way for us to have access to Almighty God. Yet we need to be washed, not with mere water, which can't do anything for the soul, for the heart, but the precious blood of Jesus unto him who loved us and washed us in his own blood. Revelation 1.5 Jesus' blood. The ultimate Lamb of God washes us clean and we're able to come near boldly yet with reverence and awe to God Almighty. The people had for several decades this tabernacle and tremendous histories recorded in connection with it 
in the pilgrimage of these Israelites in the desert, in the Sinai Peninsula. What happens? They witness God coming, delivering them. They accepted it. They witnessed his provision. They started to trust in God. They were told to trust in God. And then they witnessed the giving of the law. And following the giving of the law, various laws, the initial installment, and God saying, I want to dwell with you. The governmental structure of this theocracy of God being over the people directly had a constitution of sorts, a covenant, and these laws. The people had to know how to behave. They had to know there was a separation from them and God. They had to have the concept driven into them that sin exists and it separates them from a holy God. They need to be what? Purified and cleansed in order to come near Him. They had this day in and day out. Every week, every weekend, every month, every year. Generations, they understood God is holy. We're living in the midst of unclean people. We ourselves need to be ritually cleansed. God accepted the death of the animals. We see this tabernacle and the area that covers the ground of the tabernacle and the laver, the basin where they would wash their hands before entering in. And beyond that, further from the tabernacle, tent, door, would be the altar. This bronze altar. The sacrifices would be made. And all around the perimeter, we'd have this structure set up. So they can know clearly the whole place is off limits. They have to be very careful. The priest would come and meet the people by the gate. And God assigned people, sons of Levi, Levi. Certain people, even with the Ark of the Covenant, they had to carry the Ark only by the wooden poles, never remove those poles. And they had to rest it on their shoulders and carefully carry it. They were not to touch it. And we saw how in the reading of scripture later on how some ventured to touch it and they died instantly. The problem with people today, especially many, many Christians, is that when they come across the description of God's holiness, it still seems foreign to them. The reason is, number one, they are biblically illiterate. They do not read the Bible, at least not fully. They certainly don't read it reverently, not all Christians, of course, but many of them. How do we know? 
their live show. They're able to socialize with the world very easily and do pretty much the same thing the world does. On whom, the Bible says, the wrath of God abides. And so the behavior is not all too different. And so the concept of holiness and the need for being reverent before God and in awe of Him and to be clean and separate from the world is altogether lost. And what they have is a dead religion. Practically no different and in many cases worse than the heathen religions where at least they have a sense of reverence for their gods which are no gods. But how important it is for Christians to read as we read this morning the blessed word of God verse by verse and meditate on it ask the Lord, Lord show this to me, help me. To understand why you gave this Lord at this time of Israel's history. When did he do it? Right from the beginning virtually. He set this up to let them know the boundaries and how to approach him and how to get blessed. So by faith they should bring the sacrifices. And this is why in the book of Psalms and elsewhere the Lord says don't bring any sacrifices because it had to be with repentance and genuine penitence, contrition, uh, sorrow for their own sins, and to come with awe and with faith, expecting God would do what he said if I approach him the way he requires. But when the people were devoid of faith and they continued with the rituals, and it became useless for them, their hearts became harder and harder. They were stubborn, rebellious. And people, even the priests, at different points of Israel's history, they were doing these things mechanically. Their hearts were far from them, from God, that is. And that's what the Lord said through the prophets. You draw near to me with your lips, but your heart really is far away from me. Let us draw near with full assurance the Bible says in the New Testament. We have to have a faith. My God is watching me 24-7. My God is interested in my welfare 24-7. My God is working supernaturally for me, preserving me, and leading me on the path of righteousness 24-7. That's the relationship. It's a living fellowship with God that we can look to Him as the eternal pillar of of fire as the light symbolizes presence that menorah the lampstand is continual presence the light was not to go out the bread of his presence one for each tribe one loaf the altar of incense in the book of revelation we know Prayers of the saints go up as incense before the God of heaven. We spoke about the veil. We spoke about the Ark of the Covenant. The Shekinah glory of God. We have enough measurements given. Detailed materials list. To produce a fairly accurate 
model of the tabernacle and so they have one in Israel a model made to size scaled to scale and uh, it gives us an understanding of what the people saw and what each part meant and how today we don't have such a thing the tabernacle that was that was a precursor to the temple we neither have a tabernacle nor a temple other religions do but we heard very clearly from the word the other day and in our readings we are the temple of God that Shekinah glory is within us not by us but because of his presence he dwells in believers and so the body of a believer is off limits just as the ground of the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself to pollution not physical pollution in the sense of those who would like to go green and so forth spiritual moral pollution how ought a Christian to carry himself or herself the Bible says we are strangers and pilgrims in this earth would people who are not Christians see us as strange born they certainly ought to God calls us a peculiar treasure peculiar people a treasured people but the world should see us as foreign and even aggravating not with bad behavior but with good behavior because the light shines through us when we follow God and we abide in him and the darkness does not like it but if we can mingle with the world and we are so happy and friendly and they're friendly and there's no difference then we're in bad shape spiritually but while being loving and humble and sincere forbearing patient helpful self-sacrificial that regard for holiness to keep myself pure will create turbulence in the atmosphere for the powers of darkness which powers constitute the spirit of disobedience in the people who do not know God on whose head the Bible says hangs the wrath of God so God says don't you do the same things because then wrath will come on you and we see many many instances of that in the Bible Old Testament and New Testament particularly the Old Testament this tabernacle was erected to show them clearly the separation between that which is holy and that which is profane or unholy that which is holy and that which is common not anyone and everyone can grab a hold of some priestly garments and begin to minister as a priest 
It was holy. The priests themselves had to regard the garment that they used to serve. Be very careful to lay it aside. It was not to be worn in the commonplace. We spoke about the goat and the scapegoat, the sacrificial goat, and how the man that was responsible even, who was not a priest, just to let that scapegoat out into the wilderness, symbolizing the taking away of the sins of Israel, disappearing out of the camp. The other one slaughtered, bearing the sins. God showing in a twin example. He means to remove the guilt, not just the filth. He wants to drive it home to us, especially us with the blood of Jesus purifying us. Once you confess to me what you did wrong, you come to me sincerely. It could be years of doing it. I will remember it no more. Oh, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God says, now don't go back to it. Don't revisit sin. See what lengths God has gone to. To show us clearly what kind of creatures we are, new creations in Christ, have nothing to do with sin. You want to share in God's glory. You want to enter in through the veil. You mean I can come near that altar, the bronze sacrificial altar? I can go to that lever? I can go into the tent of meeting, to the holy place. I can get ushered into the holy of holies. People would die if they go anywhere near the structure period without permission, without consecration, without being called. Can you imagine you and I being called by Almighty God? as he called Moses on Mount Sinai when it was full of lightning and thunder, trumpet blast and smoke and an earthquake. The whole mountain was shaking. God called Moses. He said, come up. And he went into that thick cloud. God calls all of us to come all into his presence. But we better be worthy. We are given worth. By the blood of Jesus, he gives us his righteousness in exchange for our filth, for our sins, for our folly. But we must make sure we walk in it. Otherwise, we will be presumptuous and thereby would be punished. The whole picture of the tabernacle, the law, the rituals, the situation there of God being in the midst of the people. And so it was the formation of the people by tribes were situated around the tabernacle. God was the center. Is the Lord really the center of our lives? If so, do we have the fear of God in our bones? The love of God to devour His Word, 
so that we can know who he is, what he's like, what he requires, what he wants to do to bless us beyond our loftiest imagination. Holy God, this is our inheritance. How many people take the inheritance if somebody were to be given a million dollar inheritance, ten million dollars, and they discovered it? Which person in his or her right mind would just let it sit there for the next 50 years and think, you know, I think I'll get around to it before I die. Multitudes of people would cry out against such foolishness and say, I wish I had it. I'd make use of it. We're given an eternal inheritance. We have the very word of God that is able to transform us from the inside out. And we don't want to be spiritually malnourished, neither spiritually retarded. We don't want to be spiritually impotent. But that's exactly what we can choose if we go with the status quo of this Laodicean lukewarm church era before the Lord's return. There are pockets of revival burning bright, blazing in some places. The entire city is ablaze with revival. Not so in most places because of this smugness and incorrect interpretation of Scripture and the benefits and our calling. To cruise through life enjoying the amenities and having God too as a sort of insurance to protect me. We all know the saying, or at least most of us would have heard, if Christ is not Lord of all, if he's not the center as the tabernacle was in Israel, if he doesn't permeate every aspect of my life, to my very attitude and motivations, the secrets of men's heart, will be judged every human being the apostle said by that man the God man Jesus Christ one day everything will play like a movie and we will not be the only witness to it the very angels of God will see it better to have God first in our lives now and this way we will escape the judgment to come the wrath to come we will enjoy fellowship with God we will be useful in God's hands to be like that menorah. To shine the way for people. The words star, shine, the future, all these things are used by the world and they know nothing about the holiness and the eternity that God speaks of when he speaks of light, star, shining, we are pilgrims. The Jews, even today, especially the Orthodox Jews, with their peculiar, specific garb and mannerisms, their hairstyles, and the observable separation that they have. Much of it is through man's teaching, sad to say, but they adhere to it. 
people readily know who is a Jew, Orthodox at least, and what they stand for, what their expectations are. How much more the believer? Our distinctive features must be integrity through and through. An uncommon compassion. A humility that is on another level altogether. Not only before God, but before man also. These are the distinctive qualities of a Christian. Not so much of a lock of hair such as with the Orthodox Jews and a good portion shaved. Not so much the black garments that they wear, the boots, the string visible from the fringes of their coats. Not so much their fast-paced walk to their local synagogues or meeting places. Their concerned look when Gentiles come near. But our distinctive qualities are to be visible. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your God which is in heaven, your heavenly Father. By holiness, integrity, compassion, humility, faith, all these things come under true holiness, true righteousness. The Lord said, and the New Testament shows it, we're called to a much higher standard than those in the Old Testament. But what we see more often than not in the Christian community are people who are wandering in the wilderness of sin, S-I-N. Mingling with the world and in some cases doing worse in the world and saying, well, I love Jesus but I will drink even those poison to my body. I know it's the temple but you can't expect me to keep this temple clean because I'm a human being. And they watch the same things. They have their own rating system. They even listen to and celebrate those ministries, quote-unquote, who will have people paid to go and watch filthy movies in the theaters with all kinds of themes that are antithetical to holy living and godly living. And they listen to the reviews from these reviewers who are supposed to be Christian movie gurus. How dreadful. Where is the separation? Where is the consecration? Where is the distinctiveness of a person that is a stranger in this world because we've been born from above 
the Lord told his enemies I'm from above you're from beneath what you do is your father's will your father's a devil what is the devil about? hatred vengeance uncleanness the gospels often say an unclean spirit was cast out by the Lord these spirits are not clean they're not neutral they're unclean and those are the spirits that go behind movie producers and people who record songs and people who produce all kinds of things including clothing beware when the Lord can show you his choice for everything that concerns you beware that you don't rush and go for what's popular or what appears good but we need to start from the inside out the Lord said if the inside of the cup is clean the outside will be clean too in other words, if my heart is truly surrendered to God, it will become easier to know God's will for my house. What belongs in my house? What should be in that cabinet? What should be on my bookshelf? What should be on my living room table? On the coffee table? Even what should be in my refrigerator? We don't have kosher dietary laws, but Basically, the principle is your body is a temple, so don't destroy it. Don't reduce the effectiveness of your body as a vehicle to carry God's presence and His Word. Don't cut short your life. Don't cut short the quality of life. If the inside of the cup is clean, the people were drawn to the tabernacle because of God's presence. And as they approached him with the sacrifices, the blood temporarily covered them, but now the blood of the Lord Jesus eternally covers us because it's written through the eternal spirit. He offered himself. Once for all, he purged our sins even to the level of the conscience. As we read through Exodus, and even this description of the tabernacle and the furniture or the furnishings, we must be aware that God gave everything for a reason. It is a copy of what's in heaven, and it held a sacred meaning. To make the people aware of God's holiness and how they really are living. They can know through God's laws, God's presence, even these material structures. So we can comprehend who God really is. And in all of the holiness, Inseparable from it, we see a mercy seat. Mercy available for those who would come and receive it in the prescribed manner. How? Yes, they had ritualistic prescriptions, but 
God was far more concerned with the heart behind it. So consider whether you are growing in holiness the more you learn about the Lord or whether you are stagnant in which case we will definitely be pulled down because we are swimming upstream against the current of the pollutions of this world and the evil spirits And only those who exercise faith and believe God and show it by obeying His word will be overcomers. Those who think I have Jesus' blood and He paid it all and I don't have to do anything basically. I just need to go to church and pay my tithes and take communion when it's offered and get baptized and do all that stuff. And I have a Bible on my car. I have it on my phone. I have it on my desk. And I like to look at it. It's helpful. It's instructive. It makes me feel good. I feel clean when I read it and come out. Those people will be deluding themselves because the gravity, the gravitational force, the downward pull of hell can only be countered by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only gain the power of the Holy Spirit by waiting in God's presence, spending time with Him, quality time, a good portion of time every day. Otherwise, we'll be lost. We'll be deluded. We'll be living a lie because compromise will set in. And what happens when we have multitudes of people who are compromisers? It'll be one big party where no one can step up and say, Here's God's standard because it'll be a free-for-all. After all, didn't Jesus meet God's holy standard? I mean, he knew we couldn't do it. And now he did it. So how can I add anything to that? I dare not add anything to my salvation. These are the types of demonic thoughts that can come out from people's mouths when they're called by God himself to do what? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. We're called to take our salvation very seriously. It's written in the book of Philippians, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. After Jesus died to purchase salvation with his precious blood and he rose to justify us. It's written, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is written in the book of Peter, Add to your faith, virtue into virtue, knowledge into knowledge, temperance, and so on. If you don't do it, you're blind. You've forgotten that you were purged or cleansed from your old sins. You have to do it. The Christian life, as we mentioned yesterday, is not, the, it's not an easy life. The Lord said, strive to enter in. You're going to have to agonize which means you're going to face this narrow, restrictive path full of trouble. Persecutions will come from the world. 
when you're walking right. If you don't walk right, you'll be with the Broadway crowd. Neon lights. Everything will be a fun thing. Hot dogs and french fries. Barbecues. Christian concerts. Christian movies. And have a wonderful time. But true prayer that will require every ounce of energy in me. Yes. The Son of God prayed. It's written with strong crying he cried out to God. Passionate prayer will take everything out of us. But we'll be recharged and replenished by the Holy Spirit. Reading the word diligently on our knees with great reverence for long periods of time. Prioritizing God's presence in our lives as absolutely non-negotiable. Something foreign to most people who call themselves Christian. At least in the areas where persecution really doesn't exist because they are so in tune with the general trend of ungodliness. God is calling us in these last days to tabernacle with him because he wants to tabernacle with us. He's looking for a few good men. A few good women to join his army. To train commandos. To destroy the work of the devil. That's what the Son of God came to do. And if we're going to follow him, we need to have a paradigm shift in our whole approach to Christianity. We must not look at what's out there in the status quo. We must go to God on our knees personally and cry out to him and say, Lord, change me. Change me, Lord, so I may be all that you called me to be. Lord, that my life will count for eternity to bring souls out of darkness. Israel was called to be a light unto the world, to the Gentiles. Eventually it failed. And the light was sent to the Gentiles. And then again, especially in these last days, there are many Jews coming to faith as we now call the Messianic Jews as there are Muslims and Hindus atheists, agnostics Buddhists all kinds of people but still in the grand scheme of things out of some 8 billion people in the world today They are, as the Lord said so, few. Many will seek to enter on that day. They won't be able to. You strive to enter in. In other words, the implication is 
there's a window of opportunity if we don't go all in for the Lord. When we want to later, we will not be able to get in just like the man who came. To the wedding feast, unprepared. We have a royal calling and our hearts should rejoice with trembling. We should be cautious to walk carefully with our God at the same time full of joy because we have been called, enlisted into His army. We have been called to be His people, His messengers. We have a part in the building of not just a physical tabernacle, but a spiritual kingdom. Every one of us has a part. Only God can reveal to us what His calling is on our lives, but He will only reveal it to those who prove themselves worthy. The same Lord who said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Would He do the same thing? If we would like to have God as our co-pilot, insurance policy, not as God, who is Lord of all, where everything I do, everything I say must come under His Lordship, my whole schedule, what I buy, what I put in my body, who I talk to, what I do, where I work, Everything has to be God's will because only that person according to 1 John 2, 15-17 is going to live forever. Nobody else. No one else. The one that does God's will. What is God's will? It's a takeover of our lives. It's a surrender on our part. And an obligation on His part also. To love us and protect us provide for us and perfect us. It's the grand call that came to Israel. It will be to me a kingdom of priests. And we, as Gentiles, are able to come into that as a those grafted into the original vine. We have to beware these days of something called cheap grace. We have to be on full alert against something called eternal security without fearing God and obeying Him. There is such a thing as eternal security. Those two words are awesome and delightful to the believer who understands what it requires. but with a definition that's been injected into it with the help of the devil it becomes twisted into something that's a a blank check for anyone and everyone regardless of whether they're responsible or not eternal security is the confidence we have that as we walk holily, righteously with our God, 
doing everything, striving with everything that He strives in us with by the Spirit to keep ourselves holy because when the trumpet call comes from heaven, it is only the saints who will be caught up. No one else. Saints are sanctified ones, not only positionally, but practically. They walk in righteousness. We want to make sure we're part of the elect. The Apostle Peter by the Holy Spirit says, this is the way you can make sure if you give diligence Add to your faith, virtue, and all those qualities. Only then can we know for sure. So you see that the Bible unfolds for us far more than what we're used to hearing. Statements such as, well, if you believe Jesus died for you, and he lives in your heart, you gave your heart to him, then you're saved. If that were the case, then we wouldn't have all these commandments in the New Testament all of these prohibitions, all of these warnings, all of these exhortations to make sure you're part of the elect. And how? Just by confessing that Jesus is Lord? By living, abiding in Him, walking like He walked. A pure message that shakes whatever hell has latched onto us, off of us, so we can know we are true citizens of heaven. The choices we make, the attitudes, and everything, our daily walk with God is one of deep reverence and love and joy. Boldness, because the Bible says it is the righteous that are bold as a lion. The wicked run when no one is chasing. The truly righteous people are fearless, such as Daniel was. He was taken into the lion's den. He didn't panic. Someone says, well, how do you know that? Because he didn't panic when that lion imitator, the devil, prowled around through his enemies to try to get him in trouble. He had his window open toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. He didn't stop when the king's command, the violation of which meant death. He knew it. He continued. He was bold. And he answered the king. And he came knocking, trembling. Did my God send his angel to shut these lions' mouths? We need to have a testimony. The testimony requires us to walk with God, truly walk with God. There are people who say, I've been walking with God for 30 years. Heaven would say otherwise. Maybe not even one year. How and why? Because of compromise. 
behaving just like the world with no conviction whatsoever, no repentance. And flocking with people in so-called churches who have the same standard, foreign to heaven. Imagine a foreigner claiming to be a citizen and everybody knows how much more dreadful if heaven should say such a thing about us. We can know and we can prove that we're citizens of heaven by following the commandments of the Lord, by being the light as he's in the light. By saying, Lord, what should characterize my life is holiness and love. Not the watered-down definition, but the biblical definition. And so it's very vital that we read Exodus and Leviticus and the Old Testament to get a clear sense of how rich we are and how far the plan of God has progressed and we are the beneficiaries of all of this great salvation God has purchased us. Now shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation the Bible asks? How do you neglect it? By not obeying. Scripture will interpret Scripture by the Holy Spirit. Two things before we conclude. We ought to delight ourselves in the Word of God and devour it if we would know God truly as He is and have the fear of God upon our lives to keep us safe to escape the wrath that's going to come upon the world. That's what the Lord said. Secondly, we must pray more often than ever with deep reverence and faith with a heart to obey God's commandments. More frequent prayer with thanksgiving. More passionate prayer crying out to the Lord really meaning with our hearts. These two things will transform anyone. Not only make us fit for heaven but fit for God's mission while we're on earth and complete it successfully. Go with great joy and abundant entrance to receive our inheritance in heaven. To live with the Lord even face to face. Hallelujah. Shall we pray?